drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. This is episode 25 of Drive-By Cinema. I'm here with Paul. Welcome, Paul. And Alistair. Hola. <laughs> and I'm Rick. We were just very entertainingly kind of uh, regional there. I applauded myself as one does. In I forgot Asia. how to say hello in Italian. Oh, East Asia. It's that East Asian thing. Applauding yourself. You say ciao, don't ciao. you? Ciao. Si. Yeah. Ciao. Yeah. Yeah, you applaud yourself. Buongiorno. 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 Now, I ask with trepidation if anyone has any... Buongiorno was in Duran Duran. I know who he is. <laughs> On last week's episode, we did make... Well, I spoke a lot about A theory and B theory of time. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out the interesting thing bullshit. about that is... No, it's not bullshit, Paul. But it's philosophy, which it's not, some people think is bullshit. bullshit yeah. Which is not true or fair, but... Prove it. Of course. Prove it's not bullshit. You can't. <laughs> it's not science, is it? It's just philosophy, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah, but science is just applied philosophy, isn't no, it? No, it's not. Only oh. philosophers would say that. <laughs> I think only a scientist would say that. I think philosophers would hate that idea. Anyway. Sorry. The point I was going to make is... And something you didn't pick me up on, but there's a big difference between the A theory and the B theory of time. Oh, yeah, because me and Alistair know so much about that, yeah. Let's be clear, the B theory of time implies, since all past and present and future exists at once, it implies there Whoa. can't be any free will. No one can make any decisions because the landscape is already there. Some people are already in the future, presumably. So there's nothing that you can do. In the same way that when Alistair buried that tin with the GoPro in it, if they'd gone and had a look before he jumped into the swimming pool, they would have known whether or not it was going to work. And if it's there, they know he has to go to the swimming pool or the bucket and, you know, go through the wormhole. So you're saying it wouldn't suddenly appear once he'd gone back in time? No, it couldn't. How could it? That that would be crazy. It would have to already be there. And that means he would have to be destined to go back and there'd be no way of him avoiding that. So a different idea to Back to the Future, which pursues an A theory of time, sure. Well, A theory is just a very muddled... Actually, Back to the Future pursues a many worlds interpretation. Oh. Because uh, Marty ends up in a different future, doesn't he? Whoa. They call that out because Doc Brown draws the time trouser on the board, doesn't he, at, what point, what, at one point? And they go, go down a different leg of the time trouser. <laughs> the issue of free will is a very thorny one in philosophy, of course. It's, um, it's been debated for centuries. As a consequence, it means that a lot of theologian philosophers are quite resistant to the B-theory of time. Which is a shame, because, as discussed, it's the only one that makes scientific sense. But, sorry to interrupt, but, Alistair, what is the Catholic Church, what is the Catholic Church's position on free will? Does it exist or not exist? Yeah, I think they're pretty clear on this one. Um, Free will has to exist. Has to exist. Must exist. Yeah, the idea, and I don't think this is limited to Catholicism, I think quite a few, I mean, quite a few theist religions would 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 say the same thing because the idea is that if you don't have free will then ultimately you're not responsible for the morality of your actions and in order to be saved you have to have the free will to be not saved so yes the pinocchio theory of creation of 
humanity. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's essential to to uh, that type of Christianity. Anyway, I think the Geppetto might... wouldn't want to make a wood toy. He'd only ever want to make a real boy, wouldn't he? I mean, it doesn't make sense any other way. Mm. Well, God wants, according to that sort of Judeo-Christian view, that God created humans because God wants to be loved. Yes, and if you make them love you, then that's not being God. That's it's being a, a, a devil instead. Yeah, yeah, but unfortunately. It... It's not coherent, is it? An om- om- omnipotent being that's omniscient can't... There's no meaningful sense in which you... You, you know, he can't give you free will. It doesn't make any sense. He already knows what choice you'll make, so hmm. it, it's a hopeless idea. I don't know. Maybe the study of model railways could help us with this, because it's kind of... I think there's some allied kind of thinking here. You know, Could you design a model railway whereby the railway isn't just what you make it. No. No. Not really. <laughs> I can't conceive of it, but then I'm not God. No. So. Maybe God can conceive of a way of doing that. I don't know. I think the metaphysics of that is, is interesting mm. because, you know, philosophers are sometimes caught out by science knocking at their door. You talked in one of the previous episodes, Paul, about the Bell inequal- inequality, the Bell's theorem, didn't you? Yeah. I think. That's another example where Highly philosophers, I think... Philosophers would would like to defend the territory that they can claim, for instance, that there's validity to the hidden variable theory. Yeah. That you can't ever know. They would claim, they want to claim there's no way of knowing in principle whether or not there is an unknown hidden variable that can account for quantum effects and, you know, things like entanglement. But Bell's inequality experiment and the Einstein-Rosen experiment, I think, is connected to it, actually do demonstrate that that hidden variable theory can't be true. And that's, I think, surprising to philosophers that they get tripped up. And in the same way, I'm sure philosophers who thought about time would have assumed that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to come up with some theory that could spear the A theory of time. They, therefore, they would think they could preserve free will. Whereas, in fact, the mathematics of uh, Einstein kind of demonstrate that there's no hope for the A theory of time. This just doesn't work. But the truth of the matter is, free will, I think, in modern philosophy now is tied up with the question of responsibility. And it's meaningless to talk about being able to choose something other than what happened. It's just, there's no way of talking of that meaningfully. What most people, I think a lot of people have the common or garden sense of free will, that it is like agency driving you, like homunculus in your head that someone is pulling the levers and making you do things and could choose to do something other than what actually happened because that doesn't make any sense. You know, everything in your head is happening because your brain is in a state and there are chemicals in your brain making you do certain things in a certain way. And if exact, you know, circumstances were to reoccur, it's unthinkable that a different outcome could occur. Yeah. The concept of free will has to be tied up with whether or not you were free, free to make a free choice. And if so, that then you have to be considered responsible. Even if we know full well that your environment and your upbringing and your brain chemistry would have always encouraged you to make the same choice. I mean, I, I go so far with this. Sure, sure. You know, it's it's all preordained in, in the sense that we can't actually, when we're making decisions, make a decision that's fully of our own free will. But at the same time, it's very rare when I'm driving down the road that I decide to crash into the parked cars. That's right. Yeah, because you've been so, trained, haven't you? You wouldn't want to do that. There's all kinds of biological so, mechanisms. So, to stop in that sense, I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, when I decide to crash into a car, you know, I am fully accountable for it. 
When you decide to crash into a car, yeah. Yeah, if I were to decide to crash into a car. But you'd be accountable for it if it was an accident as well, right? I would be, quite rightly so. But if I decided to say, hey, today I'm just going to swerve into this car. And the police came and said, hey, Paul, what are you swerving that car for? I said, I just wanted to, but it's not of my own free will. So, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Because a thousand times a year I drive down the road without doing that, so... Well, that raises an interesting question, which is, I, I, th- I think the, the issue of free will is illuminated a lot by the existentialists, because they would say that if you'd done that, if, if like in poor scenario, you crash your car, but then you say, well, yeah, but, I, you know, I, I did it because of uh, X, Y, and Z, it wasn't to do with my, my own free will, hmm. then that you are, you are, by not accepting the responsibility for it and the accountability for it, you're acting in bad faith. Since the existentialist, I think a lot of moral philosophers have taken the view that you just have to accept responsibility for the things that you do and the things that you affect and the things that you decide to do um, and the accidents that you cause and things like that. You know, otherwise you aren't. There's nothing of you. You know, you you have no kind of substance unless you do that. So, are we giving Donald a get out clause from his behaviour in recent weeks here or what? No, no. Yeah, no. That's right. It's not his fault that he's a complete jerk. He. Can't control himself, can he? He's Clearly. been conditioned into being a complete jerk. Absolutely. No one has ever said no to him. That's his problem, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he had a father who, who b- brought him up to believe that he could not ever make a mistake and could not ever lose, and that to lose would be the worst thing ever, therefore it's not possible. And he only surrounds himself with people who tell him what he wants to hear. Ironic, isn't it, that truly successful and competent people I make plenty of mistakes, and they learn from them. And he's mm. never been afforded that opportunity. In terms of responsibility and blame, then someone here has to be blamed for us watching the Beyond Me. this week's movie. Well, I suggested it last week. In fact, I pretty much dictated it, didn't I? But you have been talking about it for a long time, Paul. So after this brief musical interlude, you're going to have to explain yourself. I will too. So, Paul, you sold this duck to us on the basis that it was a very low-budget Italian movie. Can I, can I just say three words? Oh. Die, you motherfuckers! <laughs> Look, I mean... I'm sorry. Go on, go on, go on, carry on what you say. Well, you suggested that it had made a great deal of money, millions and millions. <laughs> well, on Wikipedia, it said it made £340 million. Pounds. I was thinking, whoa, on a budget, its budget was big for the day, but only $400,000, you know. There's a nice tasty budget in the late 70s, like, you know, five or six million today, I'd imagine. Good enough to make a good movie with, but to make 340 million pounds, not 340 million dollars, 340 million pounds off the back of that small budget, wow. It's, we're talking almost a thousand-fold return, aren't we? We're talking, what's that... 100,000% return on, on investment. It's crazy, incredible. And I thought for that reason alone, we have to watch this movie. But as you explained at the end of uh, the last podcast, assuming I didn't edit it out, as you explained, you mistook the symbol for lira, which has two <laughs> horizontal lines, with or the one. symbol for the pound, which has, which has just one, one or two, horizontal. Yeah. Whichever it is, yes, I did. So in fact, I think it only just about broke even at the box office at the time. However... How many Italian lira are there to the pound? Obviously, the Italian lira is no about more. About a thousand. Was, about yes. a thousand. Yeah, it was a massively devalued currency by the time it got absorbed into the euro. I went to Italy on a school trip in 1987 
and at that time it was two thousand lira to the pound. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. No. Yeah. Yeah. So that was at the time, but since then it has become a cult classic and it's referenced by by lots of important people who think it's a very, very good movie. So What do we mean when we say a cult movie? A cult Not movie. a cult movie, a cult movie. Well, this is both, isn't it? A cult and cult. Uh, what do we mean when we say a cult movie? Referenced by famous and cool modern day directors. One. Two. So seminal. Seminal, yeah. Two. Loved by a small but loyal contingent of fans. Three. I can't think of anything else. I mean, that's what we typically mean by cults, I think. So we're talking here about the 1981 film The Beyond. The Beyond, yes. By Lucio Fulci. Yes, by Lucio Fulci, yes. Now he's, I imagine, a pretty famous Italian horror director. And I've heard that this is one of a series, isn't it? It is, yes. It's it's part of the the Beyond Cinematic Universe, is it? It is, yes. (laughs) I think it's the second one, I I can't quite remember. That's right. It's the Gates of Hell trilogy. The Gates of Hell trilogy, yes. And this is part two, you're right. Do you think we're suffering from not understanding the plot by coming in at number two? No, no, no. I, I, it is just a slasher. There's no, there's no real story to speak of here, you know. But oh, well, I don't think let's, you miss let's, very let's much. bash the story out quickly then. What happens in this movie? It starts, well, I, know, I know that it starts in Louisiana and not, for example, in Italy. I don't know why that is. But we actually opens in 1929, Louisiana, doesn't it? Yeah. Carry on, Paul. You see, you're oh, looking oh, at me like I, said, I don't. I don't normally do the synopsis, but let me try. Let me try to summarize this movie as I understand it. So yes, so something happens in 1929. There's some sort of. It's not the Ku, Ku Klux Klan, but there's some sort of. I don't know who they are. Guardian angels of some kind? Or some well, they show of... up both by canoe and by car, don't they? They do. And they're ke- cleverly synchronised so that they arrive at this hotel at the same time. They're not a gang. They seem to be people who are looking to keep an order in, of, in society that's not about criminality and that kind of thing. So I don't know who they are. But it, it's they're a lot of there. effort to arrive at the same time by canoe and by car, isn't it? You'd have to work out how long it's going to take each journey. And then set off at staggered intervals to arrive at the same time. It, I don't know, you know, why did they not all go by car? Did I don't they not know. have enough cars? <laughs> but in any case, they're a lynch mob not concerned with lynching black people, but rather concerned with lynching poor well, That's artists. a good job, because one thing there isn't in this movie is any black people whatsoever. No, there, aren't, there are no black people, actually. There are no black people in this movie whatsoever, intriguingly. Yeah, uh, I think maybe because it's Italian-made, potentially, and not American-made. Might be an explanation for that. Uh, But yeah, so it's a lynch mob, and they turn up at the hotel, and uh, there's an artist there, and he's painting something occult. Well, it's it's a very drab, grey picture, isn't it? It doesn't appear to be. Well, it's full of people people sort of emerging and grasping from from a swamp, kind of. No, I think there's just three dead bodies in it. It's okay, whatever, whatever it is. And for some reason, this really offends them and they decide to crucify him there and then in the hotel room. They whip him with a chain first. And what we don't know, what they don't know, is that he's got the Book of Abon, or E-I-B-O-N, the Book of Ebon, Abon, in his room, 
he's been creating a, a portal to the 13 holes of hell or something. I can't remember. No, they said there were the seven doors of evil. The seven doors of evil. He's 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 got those doors open. The hotel is just simply a shill for that whole devilish activity. And they've only gone and murdered him and created all kinds of paranormal nonsense and occult nonsense that's going to happen at any moment in this movie. But it doesn't happen. It happens 40 or 50 years later. i got to say, this is where they lost me because, as is well known, there aren't only seven doors to hell. There are many entrances to hell. <laughs> but anyway, for some reason... Hell doesn't break loose at that point. Hell is battened down. The seven doors to hell that the hotel now sits upon, they haven't been opened up. As in, like in Ghostbusters. You know, in Ghostbusters, something happens to open those things up. But no, it's all battened down for 30 or 40 years until the young lady what's inherited the hotel comes along to inherit it. And therefore we skip to the, to the present day. The present day being 1979 or thereabouts. And that's it, really. That's as far as I want to go in describing the movie in its totality. Because I think, you know, maybe it's better if we talk about what happens later on once we get there. Well, I just wanted to take issue, as I say. Oh. Um, I was going to try and share a website with you. I don't know if you've seen this website. This explains where the entrances to hell are. Although, in explaining where the entrances to hell are, we're only talking about UK entrances to hell. It is, as you can see, I just put it in the chat there. Entrances to hell.co.uk. So it doesn't cover the United States, for instance. Um, Is this the Hellfire Club? Is that what they're talking about? No, no, no. This is an encyclopedia, if you like, or gazetteer, perhaps would be a better word, of entrances to hell that have been documented throughout the United Kingdom. Have you you opened it? (laughs) What is this madness? One of them's called Cobblers. There's one quite close to me in Salford. You might find any that are close to you. I'm not sure about... There's probably none in Lytham St Anne's, let's face it. There's one called 23. Uh, where is 23 located? Let's have a look. Richard, how did you come about these? Oh, that's in County Durham. Oh. Oh, there's one called Heck. There's one called Wiggy. <laughs> there's one called Crizzle. <laughs> let's have a look at Heck. Oxfordshire. That's a very that's a very smart looking one. <laughs> well, there's one called Bzz. Oh, Slipknot. One called Ba-da-da-da-da-da-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. Oh, I'm going to click on that one. And Brashti Funorvalishtu. What the fuck is this? So you can see there are many more entrances to hell than they're claiming. And they're all quite nondescript, aren't they? I think the idea about an entrance to hell is it it's probably an urban portal. The devil, obviously, he wants to go where people are. But yeah, certainly more than seven. So uh, it, well, it gets marked there's down seven in this hotel. Away. And later on <laughs> in the movie, we uh, we go to the local library, or I'm not quite sure what is it, local assembly rooms, and uh, we discover a book which lays out the plans to the hotel. And it does show that hell is actually, or these several seven. Portals to hell are, are are within side or inside the inner walls of the hotel, and the hotel is an artifice to disguise disguise these entrances. So, so I'm, I'm going to go with the movie. It seems convincing to me. 
there's a casualty moment there. There's a man goes up a dodgy looking ladder that doesn't have anyone supporting it at the bottom. He goes up yes. to precariously H&S, balance high up on the, on the ladder and the and the librarian, cameo by director Lucio Fulci, um, really? says he's going out to lunch and you and then you just think that guy's gonna fall off that ladder. And he does. But what I didn't predict was that a load of spiders were going to come and appear and eat him. Oh, oh that was brilliant. We'll, we'll get there in about 40 minutes or so, I think. So, yeah, so to set out the beginning of this movie, sure, they've battened down the holes to hell that these people, this lunch mob created because for whatever reason the holes were there and somehow them You've forgotten killing... the bit where they, when they're torturing the artist, yeah. they pour kind of lye or soda lime or something on his face, that white... There's a load of there's like a tub of this white stuff. They pour it on his face and it dissolves his face. Did you like the special effects there? Did you like the latex face that was dissolved? It seems like one of the key parts about developing this movie was that they found a way of making quasi passable faces dissolve in yes. various different ways, hadn't they? Also, blood spurt that looked a bit like strawberry juice. A director trademark. I can only assume I haven't watched any other movies, but I would put good money on there being a lot of eyes in all of his films. Being gouged. Being gouged or like close-ups, you know, with, with a key light on the, the eyes only and the, eye, you know, real focus, <laughs> tight focus on eyes in lots of different shots. So stop me if I'm wrong, but okay. So the lynch mob, uh, having killed the artist, having crucified the artist by p- putting stakes through his eyes, I think in this first instance... The the hole to hell was just being opened by the artist or was being painted by the artist or what happened there? Does anybody know? Was it already open? We don't know. <laughs> Maybe this but, is yeah, all first movie stuff. <laughs> perhaps, yeah. But in any case, it's all been battened down. Um, but from what went on there, he's preserved. The artist is preserved somewhere in the room or where is he? Down in yeah, the, how, down how does a guy who's been dissolved by something get preserved? I don't know, but he's there somewhere in the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Behind a cupboard or... or in, I believe he's called Schweik. Is that it? Something like that? That's right. The, on Wikipedia, it says that because he was killed while the painting was being completed, uh, it counts as a human sacrifice to one of the seven doors of death. Obviously, yes. Allowing the no, dead to cross into obviously. the world of the living. Ah, okay. So his death created the portals, essentially. Seemingly. But the hotel is already built around these portals. Yeah. Yes. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that school that Buffy and her friends were at, that was on the Hellmouth, wasn't it? Where vampires and zombies came from. At the start of the movie, and I think later on as well, the artist was working in room number 36. That's right, yeah. And you know that because it has 36 on the door on the outside. Weirdly, it also has the number on the inside. Because when he's doing the painting, the camera shows the inside of the wall. It's a weird thing for a hotel to have the number on both sides, eh? Uh, small devil just arriving from hell. Uh, yes, small devil just... Uh, we've put some numbers on the inside of the door. We've arrived from that side, so you'll be able to find out which door you're arriving, walking through into into the human's world. Thank you. But I think it's... So when you're ordering room service, and they say, what room are you in? You, just, you can just you can look, look over and see. So anyway, the Book of Abon was in the room, and it's a, it's something that runs through this movie. It's there. It's I don't know what it is. It's it's what is the Book of Abon? Well, I had to look it up. H.P. Lovecraft connection here. It's attributed yeah. to Clark Ashton Smith, who is one of the West Coast Romantics, uh, and a, his works were published in serialized form 
uh, along with H.P. Lovecraft in Weird Tales, which is a pulp magazine. H.P. Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, Robert E. Howard, he of Conan the Barbarian fame. Okay, so so Book of Abom was his, you know, apocryphal Bible, Bible of the occult, and for some reason it appears in this movie, and I don't know what. Well, it, it just sits on desks, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea it was an H.P. Lovecraft link, though. That's interesting. Mm. It's the most but interesting thing I've learned about this movie. So it's a guide to occult practice that they tried. Somebody takes and somebody tries to get back. You know, the heroine tries to get. And I'm not sure what she's trying to get it for. Is it to find something out about, about what's happened to her hotel? Because terrible things are happening. As soon as she arrives having, from New York, having inherited this old stack... Uh, people start dying. So yeah, the first one's a decorator, isn't it? He decorator falls off, falls off some scaffolding and badly injures himself. The heroine of this film is an English. Is she supposed to be English? Don't know. The actress is English. Yeah, and it's all in English, even though a lot of the actors are actually Italian. It's a spaghetti horror, isn't it? Well, interestingly, they're speaking English on 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 the celluloid on the film. And then it's overdubbed badly in English. Sometimes it appears by Italian actors, when the actual actors in the movie, pretty, I think, were native speakers, a lot of them, weren't they? So but that was strange. Isn't that what spaghetti westerns are like? They were yeah. made by well, They usually spoken in Italian, you see, and then you dub English over. This is weird because it was the actors, as you can see from the, from the yeah. mouth actions, you know, they're speaking English, and then it's overdubbed in English again. But... Potentially by native Italian speakers. Very strange, I thought. Very peculiar. Yes, she's called Liza, the uh, the main the main character, and she's played by Katrina McCall, who is an English actress. When they go looking for these hotel blueprints, they find something anomalous about them, but I didn't really understand what that was. I think it's that the building, the hole in the middle, the original plans of the building were it was much bigger than the current structure. But when they're looking at it, the pl- parts of the plans disappear on the page. Ooh. Then there's this blind woman knocking around. Emily. Emily, yeah. Is she really there or is she a ghost? Ooh. There's her and then there's the people who are looking after the hotel, Arthur and Martha, <laughs> who apparently only Liza can see. And talk to. Ah. Nobody else knows that they're there because she says she needs to get rid of them and because um, they're not very helpful. And the the doctor, the the dashing doctor who's helping Liza out, just says he's he's never met anyone called Arthur and Martha in, in connection with that hotel. And also the house that Emily lives at, that Liza's been to, he says that house has been empty for decades. So I think we're supposed wow. to think that maybe they live in a different dimension or something. Emily's blind, but blind in a weird way, isn't she? Her eyes look like they've got cracked porcelain on the outside. Well, she was wearing 1970s or 1980s white contact lenses. For this, yeah, for this are they movie. meant to simulate cataracts, do you think? Or, Well, she's blind anyway. It's another eye reference. She's blind. Yes. Yeah. And she's got a guide dog called Dickie! <laughs> <laughs> now, Emily meets a really nasty end, doesn't, doesn't she? Yeah. Because her own guide dog turns on her. Bites yeah. the living crap out. She of her. starts shouting, "Dicky, attack! Dicky, attack!" Because when zombies start attacking her, and then for some reason, Dicky goes a bit crazy and starts <laughs> ripping her ears off. There's this moment where Liza is it is with Emily in the house, and she figures out by walking on the floor that she's got footsteps, but yeah. that Emily doesn't have footsteps. 
That's right. I think Emily, run, point, Emily runs of... out of the building and doesn't make a sound as she's sound. doing it. Yeah. So what, what's good? So if if Emily, the blind lady, is supposed to be a ghost, is she Dickie is a ghost? The, yeah. Is Dickie the dog also a ghost? Is Dickie a ghost the dog, dog is also a dog ghost. Yeah, or a ghost <laughs> dog. But the point is, at the Wait, end, so that's okay I mean, though. They're on, ontologically on the same level. So Dickie the dog ghost can rip off Dickie uh, Emily the ghost woman's ear because it's a ghost ear. So they're staying true to their ontological plane. Whoa. Otherwise, a ghost dog might not be able How'd to. How'd you kill a, a ghost? Real... Otherwise, yeah, unless you're a ghost. And I Weird. don't think that German shepherd that they had in that film was a trained guide dog. So it didn't seem <laughs> to be doing guide doggy things. It was good at attacking them. Well, it was yeah. a guide to the spirit world, not a guide to you know crossing the road. I don't think. <laughs> anyway, but our heroine does essentially. She eventually, essentially, meets the same fate as Emily, doesn't she? I mean, she she gets the white white contact lenses in her eyes and. She becomes what Emily was at the end of the movie. Plot spoiler. Sorry, everybody. But that's what happens at the end, isn't it? I mean, no. Is it? Yeah, surely. No, what happens at the end? She goes to hell, doesn't she? Oh, does she? Oh, dear. Well, she basically she ends up in a, in, a, in, a, in a landscape that looks like the painting. Uh, but with white eyes. Does she have the white eyes? I don't yeah. remember that. Maybe she does. I'm not yeah. saying you're wrong. I'm, I'm saying I don't, I don't recall that. She does the white eyes. So anyway, I thought at this point there was going to be potential romantic interest because she gets. I thought she was going to get it on with a doctor. The doctor mm. comes to visit her, and he wants to yes. help her. Because this is the, the doctor. Best. They also conduct uh, a sort of an autopsy, don't they? On one, uh, which on guy? Joel, is it, the builder. Yeah, yeah, the guy Joe. That's in, right. He, gets, he died in the cellar, mm. the waterlogged. Yeah, cellar. he gets his his face dissolved, doesn't he? Again, and his eyes poked out or something. Yeah, they take him to the. The coroners or whatever, and they, for some reason they have a brainwave machine in <laughs> that they use during autopsies. Which <laughs> that's that's optimism. It's isn't Louisiana, it? yeah. I mean, things things are different down there. This is a voodoo autopsy. <laughs> it's Louisiana, you know. Like Boss Hog is a long way away. Doctors can do what they want to. And this is the same office where. Contrary to all health and safety, they store open carafes, I think, of acid on they do, top, yes. top shelves just above where everyone's walking, just so that they might like wobble and fall off at any moment for some reason. <laughs> I mean, heavens, it might, it might go in someone's eyes and start dissolving their eyeballs if it were to fall off. Imagine. But what was nice here was, like, I mean, obviously, nice. everybody... What was nice about the movie? Not nice about the content of the movie. What was nice about the staging of the movie was uh, these days, of course, we all take lots of footage on our phones. But there's very little footage of Louisiana, the suburbs of Louisiana from this period. And I just, it had, it had a very nice, relaxed Louisiana feel, the whole the whole setting to this movie. You really got the feel that you were there in the mangroves, the pace of life. It had a very leafy, semi-subtropical leafy kind of feel to it all. A lazy, right. lovely feel to it. It did have the vibe. One of the Italian actors was very sweaty. So much so, I presume they just sprayed him with water before every take, but he was drenched in sweat all of the time. Was he? Do you not notice that? So where are we now? We've People have died in the hotel, past and present. Have we uh, had the spider heroine... attack? We're not waiting. Our heroine knows something's gone wrong. She's made friends with the doctor. They don't get it on. People die in the hospital. Acid, more acid flows. <laughs> uh, and then we 
they go to the library to, or they go to a bookshop and then to the library to discover the plans to the house. Is that right? And that's when the tarantulas appear. At some point, they go to Emily's house and it's all kind of deserted. Yeah, well, she's, she's a good person, isn't she? So, Alison, do the tarantulas appear from the from the top of the book bookcase ladder, or where do they come from? No, I think they just seem to appear from the wall. I think because somebody's opened the book of Avon. No, no, it's it's um. It's her friend, who I think is called Martin, who appears to be wanting to do lots of uh, renovation work on the hotel. Yeah. For, I don't know what it is it's about him, but he's constantly carrying around a pipe like you know, that you'd smoke with, but it's never lit. So I don't know what on earth that pipe was for. That was a bit of a bizarre affectation. But he says he he, he goes down to the, the local sort of city archives to go and look at the original plans. Ah, archives. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's like a local records office or something and he's and that's that's when he falls there's a there's a thunderclap when he's at the top of the uh, the ladder and he falls off and presumably he's dazed or can't get up or something and that's when spiders appear and, spiders appear now what's yeah. great is they're so slow advancing I think there's three minutes of tarantula advance <laughs> yeah. crawling slowly well, towards him there's about two of them look like they're real and the rest of them are quite clearly two joke of them do ones. look kind of real don't they well, yeah, two two of them really were real. one or two were real but I think the rest of them are, uh, are like their the, the legs aren't moving they're being you can see them being pulled along yeah, they're basically yeah. on strings. But prior to this, prior to this though, the, the 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 book of Abon does make an appearance. Now, Liza must have seen it at some point in the hotel because with Martin, when the, she's walking through the town, she sees the book of Abon through the, the window yeah. of, a, of a bookstore. Now, this is That's my favourite right. scene of the whole film because she goes in, she goes, oh, I must go and look at that book. And she goes in. And she goes up to where the book of Avon was on a on like a a stand in the shop. It's not there anymore. And it's a different book. She picks it up, and it's a different book. And and you can then hear this cackling noise, and it's the shop owner or the shopkeeper, <laughs> who is a middle aged man, and he's he's there going. <laughs> I remember that. And then yeah, he looks yeah. up, gives her a funny look, and says, "Would you like to buy the book?" And she says, no, 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 I want the other one, the one that was here before. And he goes, oh, no, that one has been there for at least two years. It's very nice. It's very interesting. (laughs) But nobody wants to buy it. And then he cackles again. (laughs) And then he carries on with his cackling and... And she just walks out of the shop looking confused. And I must have watched that scene about five times. We'd all be very confused. And it's a very enjoyable scene for yeah. many reasons. My but then quickly scene. afterwards, we get to the tarantulas. I want to get back to the tarantulas because, yes, they most of them do look fake. If I, I yeah. think there used to be a children's TV program at lunchtime on ITV. Had spiders like the ones in this movie. They were so mm. fake. Like, made of felt. Made of pipe cleaner. <laughs> and a, yeah. Pipe cleaner spiders. Yeah, Tony Hart could have made these, couldn't he? Tony Hart could have made them, yeah. But what's great is they rip out his flesh. (laughs) Well, they make a beeline for his eyes, don't they? Of course, not surprising. Not before ripping off his lips and his cheeks. Yeah. 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 And their their legs. I never knew tarantula legs could dig into flesh so Mm. powerfully and then Mm. pull it away and then for the. Flesh should be pulled pulled away like blue tag. It stretches. I've never <laughs> seen flesh stretch yeah. so like much. mozzarella cheese. Like <laughs> mozzarella. It was like blue tag and mozzarella put together. Maybe they're amazing. going to make. Maybe they're taking it back to Tony Hart so he can make morph. <laughs> so I, I think the the spiders 
failed to scare, but mm. I was constantly thinking, like, in 1981, would any of this have been scary? No. No. I don't think so, do you? don't know. The spiders attacked. The guy was already dead, wasn't he, when the spiders came in? I think he was, because he'd fallen Because otherwise he would have just got up and walked away, like any other normal person. (laughs) (laughs) There's spiders advancing at 0.2 miles per hour. What should I do, lie on the floor or walk away? Yeah, I mean, it's not a difficult decision, is it? But, you know, famously, spiders are hunting animals. You know, they're not Mm. carrion eaters. They don't... (laughs) I don't don't really get it. And I don't think they also make the noise that they make in the movie. (laughs) Did you notice, speaking of sounds... The bit where, I think again, it's somewhere around the blind girl Eliza meeting uh, Emily meeting Eliza. There's a creepy music playing, really creepy oh. music, and it turns out that she's playing it on the piano or something. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly it's diegetic music. What you thought was a creepy soundtrack was just Emily playing the piano in a weird way in the film. But the, some of the soundtrack is uh, very much of its era. Just uh, quite eerie, where they tend to play notes for seemingly random periods and to get quite atonal quite quickly yeah. with some little electronic atonal effects too. So so not too easy on the ear on one side and on the other side, just not very good either, you know. So, <laughs> there we go. I mean, I don't understand the plot, but I know that we end where we end up is the Doctor pulls out his standard doctor's surgery gun from his drawer. I mean, it is Louisiana, let's face it. And they start shooting zombies, don't they? Oh, oh yes. Hang on, there's, there's a girl, don't forget, there's a little girl. Joe's daughter is is present at the hospital when uh, with her mum to see Joe's body. That's right. She walks into the, mor- the, the mortuary to, fight, to be confronted by her mum's liquefied remains pooling <laughs> towards her. And a and a dad dead on the table. Yeah, yeah. and she goes she goes running. No, dad the isn't dead though, is he? Her dad has still got a heartbeat or something, hasn't he? He's already the under. He's got brain yeah, he's got waves. brain waves because ah. he's the voodoo brain reader thing. He's doing things, and um, she she kind of she kind of skirts around the room and she goes into the freezer to find oh some, she finds another dead body uh, that's reanimated. So this is where all the zombies start appearing. And that's is right. that the point as well where she her eyes go? Oh no, she's after the, it's after the funeral. Her eyes have gone. She's gone blind as well. Uh, so I think that's meant to signify that she's now a, a, a hell servant. I see. I, I, I don't know. But at the end, did we manage to close down the hotel's portals to hell or not? I don't think so because of the third no, movie. It was never resolved, was it? Unfortunately. Here's the most interesting thing about this movie. It's at the end, the Doctor and Emily wind up in the hotel. And I think they go down in the basement. And they say something like, we're under the hotel. It's impossible. It's crazy. <laughs> it's not really. You're just in the basement. No, no. It's because no, it's because they've got there from the hospital. Oh, yeah. No because way. They, yeah, uh. because, the, bil- because the, the plans of the building originally stretched to the to where the hospital is now. Wow! So they run out of the hospital corridor. They, they, you know, he, he's got a, a massive pistol that has an, a huge uh, capacity of um, ammunition. <laughs> he appears to be able to kill zombies, which are already dead, aren't they? Un- undead, but they appear to be killable by getting shot in the arm. And then he, he kills the little girl, Jill. But it's a bit different with her that when she gets shot, her head, her entire head explodes. <laughs> yeah. John and Liza run out of a corridor in the hospital, and they end. They suddenly, 
in the basement of the hotel. And that's why they're surprised. It's because right, yeah. they thought they were oh, miles fire. away. I just assumed I'd dropped off for a while. Yeah, so they, they wind up, though, in the in the hotel basement. And I think they presume, we must presume they go through the portal because they wind up in a scene that looks exactly like the painting that the artist mm. was painting. Oh, curious and curious. Which I thought was the cleverest part of the whole film. Mm. I quite like that. Winding yeah. up in a painting. It's real Doctor Who kind of stuff, isn't it? Or, yeah. or Star Trek. Or Twilight Zone that type is. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that was the end of the movie, wasn't it? There's a voice oh, as well, and that's that's the voice of the beyond, it's credited as. I can't remember what it says now, but there's a voice that tells them something like, and you shall be here for all eternity, or something like that. And that is apparently the beyond that's talking to them. And there we oh, are. There you go. We end the film none the wiser. <laughs> and I suppose we'd have to watch part three to find out what happens next. Ah, well. A film also released in 1981 called The House by the Cemetery. Oh, did they film them both at once? <laughs> Must have. Yeah. Well, the first one's fil- The first one was released 1980, so it's only a year earlier. Um, and that's called City of the Living Dead. And then there's the Beyond, and then the House by the Cemetery, both of which were released in '81. Busy, busy. Mm. Now, mm. Uh, Lucio Fulci. I've just. I just want to. I, I did a little bit of reading around Lucio Fulci, and I've learned a few things. And one of them is that he has the honorific, um, the Godfather of Gore. Yes. Given to because I think he did pioneer some of these effects that we've been joking about. Apparently, they they were scary quite pioneering the for the time. I think. I can believe that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. but it's a film. It's a film hanging off. The special effects sequences, isn't it? He's just strung yeah. up, bunched together with no proper plot, really, just so he can dissolve some faces. Some people are really into gore porn, aren't they? Um, some people yes. really like it. I'm, I'm not. It does nothing for me at all, apart from making me think some people are just sick in the head. <laughs> um, but Lucio Fulci, what I what I really liked about him, though, is that he, he made an enormous number of films, and the titles of them translated into English are. In some cases, uh, truly extraordinary. I'll just give you a small sample here. There's one called The New York Ripper, which sounds pretty unpleasant. Yeah. Then there's Massacre Time. <laughs> then A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. <laughs> <laughs> a Cat in the Brain. <laughs> what? And my personal favourite... Don't torture a duckling. <laughs> ah. But believe it or not, Lucio Fulci also made the incredibly popular and successful film adaptation of Jack London's novel White Fang. Wow. Yep. So, you know, this this is guy with real filmmaking chops and a and an impressive record. And he is a he is something of a, apparently something of a legend in the gore and horror world if you're if you're a real official. One thing to say about his movies, he did make he was listed with having co-produced a lot of movies, but actually he just got paid to lend his name to some of them. So I think uh-huh. the ones you mentioned he did those are his movies. But mm. many of the other ones mentioned in his filmography don't really belong to him in any meaningful sense. And of course Peter Jackson mm. started his filmmaking career with Bad Taste and what was the other one? Brain Dead. Yeah, they were schlock horror films, weren't they? Yeah. Splatter comedy, it's described as. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but, so, yeah, I mean, I yeah, thought... you know, filmmakers can cut their teeth in one genre and move over to others, can't they? So, Richard, to answer your original questions we entered into this movie, what makes this a cult movie? Is it fan base or is it seminality and, and, and referencing by other people? And in this instance, I've just found out it's Quentin Tarantino. He's one of Quentin Tarantino's favourite directors. Mm. Well, the Amazon blurb for this film on Amazon Prime, it describes it as Lucio Fulci's masterpiece of metaphysical yes. horror. <laughs> I, yes. I don't, what, I don't know what on earth they mean by metaphysical horror. I don't know. Is that a genre of horror film? Metaphysical <laughs> horror? I don't know. I, I don't have a clue what that means. Well, I think potentially at the time this could have been seen as being quite anti-church. Or anti-Catholic. Uh, often you know, he was portrayed as being anti-Catholic mm. simply because you know it, it it just it just has lots of demons in it. You know. Yeah. I don't think there's Maybe. any religious content in this one actually. Is no, there, yeah, there is very no, light on as such. Did, I'm not even sure there were any demons. There were a load of dead things. It was zombies, wasn't it? Zombies. Zombies. Yeah. Yes. Really. And yes, ghosts. I guess so. And ghosts. But it does. Yeah. It does. But it is referring to hell, though, which is it is referring to hell. A, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very much a Christian invention or a hell force. Yeah, yeah. But in a sense, I mean, he's invoking these Christian structures, so he's not really. It, it's not. It's not a denial of the role of church in society, is it? So I, I don't see how it can be seen as being anti-Catholic as such. I suppose the idea of somebody of people ending up in in hell would have probably have been relatively unexplored in in um, cinema in the early 80s so that that might have been yeah. pretty shocking i think that started to get some real traction when pe- when the uh, the hellraiser films were were made well, you know when people do you know actual denizens of hell start appearing on earth i think that's that's pretty scary stuff let's talk about scores then mm. okay do you want to go first paul uh, what, what, which category are we scoring first? Hmm. Let's do special effects and action. I have to say that a lot of the time I just found the special effects not to be gory, scary, not to be gory, icky, just unpleasant. I particularly didn't like the amount of water in this in the cellar. <laughs> like they were wading through a lot of water. I was thinking, oh, that's oh, that's just not hygienic. You know, there'll be all kinds of fecal matter down. Oh god, it was just. I just found a lot of it dirty. Mm. Yeah. It didn't feel like clean gore. You know, I want my gore to be there for a reason. It's for it to be scary and to spurt in the right way. Particularly the blood. The blood was literally like clear strawberry juice. It just it had none of the qualities of blood, and that wasn't pleasing. Uh, also, you know. Flesh doesn't rip like blue tack. Whatever <laughs> chemicals tarantula hair puts onto flesh, I don't know how, what those tarantula legs were doing, but it just stretched like blue tack. And I did like the gouged eyeballs. They were really you did. Cool. All right, I did. Yeah, yeah, I like those. That was really nice and gruesome, and it kind of made me cringe. And I—that's what you go to watch. A, you know, a gore horror to get, is to get that feeling of oh my gosh. But the rest of it didn't work like that. It was just. Ugly and wrong. So, a six in total. Mm. Okay. I take the point that this may have been more groundbreaking at the time than it feels now. But I agree with what you say. I, what I don't like is the way he lingers on those shots. Yeah. He, he's really kind of loving showing the audience. 
And he's not ashamed or abashed by the fact that it looks a bit shonky. He just wants to show it nonetheless. <laughs> Whereas, you know, a, a director who was less... Hmm, less of a pervert would maybe not show the bits that look so bad so much because your imagination is better you know you show a little shot of someone's eye getting squished but you know the point it starts not to look like an eye and it starts to look like a bit of wax or latex dissolving then you cut away wouldn't you but he yeah. doesn't know he wants to show it all just I the know spiders were ridiculous the spiders were stupid <laughs> The spiders were terrible. Yeah. The zombies were good, right? Though I mean, compared, you know, to yes. modern like Walking Dead stuff, comparable, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll give it a five. Alistair, sir. Yeah, the, the, I think everything that you've just said, Rick, about the the lingering on the on the gore effects uh, was was bad. I thought, I thought that was awful. They weren't well done. I, I think even Sorry, in lingering 19... to the point that that you see all the flaws. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the point. It made it pointed out just how unconvincing yeah. they were, and I think I'm sure in 1981 you could get more effective looking fake blood than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could actually use strawberry jam, and it would look more effective <laughs> yes, would, yeah. than that. It looked like red paint. It looked like fucking poster paint. You know, it looked even awful. in the black and white scenes, it didn't look realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the the. Yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, the flesh thing's a bit a bit different. I think the only one that really I thought was really kind of oh god, you know, proper gore porn effect was was the melty stuff. Oh, and actually, yeah. when Schweik's being um, crucified and chain whipped at the start, that was that looked a bit more effective. But if you compare it to Hereditary, the the split second moment where Charlie the young girl is decapitated in the car by the telegraph pole, you don't even see that, and that's more effective as as a as, as a scary there, yeah. oh my it god is, jump yes. out of your seat moment. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that just shows you that you can do you can get the desired kind of shock effect without even really yeah, the goal, showing yeah, the actual yeah. thing in graphic detail. You know, you just need to know that it's happened. So to that, I think in that sense, it really is. I think pornography is probably the right term for it because it is just sort of lingering on the explicit detail of of what's supposedly happening for some kind of really lurid kind of pleasure. Other effects though, I thought generally I thought the filming was quite good. I thought the way that it was shot was 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 quite well done. You know, it did look nice. It had a quite like you say Paul it had the uh, the Louisiana vibe. I thought there were some bits that were quite good. So, oh and and that that weird music was also quite effective as well. I like the weird music. Yeah. yeah, I thought the weird music was good. For all the things I've just said above, it does not work for me, so it's um it's a 4 for me. Ooh, withering scores here. Mm. Well, let's talk about the scare factor, the fear factor, the jump. What was it? Was if you insist on calling it that, jump yes. scare. Scare job. <laughs> I don't know what we call it. Gore score. No. <laughs> the gore score. The gore and jump score. I don't know. Scare score. Let's call it scare score here. Yeah. <laughs> scare score well, wasn't very high, was it? Let's be honest here. Maybe two or three. And with a bit of a gore score thrown in of four or five, I'm going to give it a 3.5 in total. For all the reasons above. It, it doesn't scare, that's right. I, it's I think just... we laid out why it wasn't scary. Yeah, yeah mm. you're just watching to see you know, what the next weird dissolving bit or eye poke is going to be the only creepy scary thing was the ending up in the painting at the end for that i'll give it a four but everything else not scary did you not find the advancing zombies a bit scary not really that was the scariest part for me because presumably attention there you could easily i'm sure there would have been jars of acid on shelves just above them you could have ticked 
you know, just pulled a string and they would all have dissolved. I don't know. They were shambling about like zombies do. You'd think they'd accidentally knock into the shelves and Easily, knock the yeah. jars off, wouldn't you? So, Alistair, what's your score on this one? Things I found scary in the film. Lynch mobs are scary. So, yes. that's, that's one. Lynch mobs are scary. I mean, admittedly, they might have had a good reason, but you nevertheless, Ooh. you know. Doors with a number on the inside and the outside, that's scary. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because um, you do, are, are you in the cell or are they in the cell? Who knows? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Okay, so lynch mob. Dickie! The German shepherd guide dog. I mean, no, they scare me. You know, Alsatians are scary. I, I don't Particularly like one that was loyal and suddenly turned on you by de- demonic Some influence. Plicitous lying dog bastards. So yeah, they, 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 they that's that's scary. Do you think? Sorry to interrupt. Do you think Alsatians yeah. are still seen by children as scary these days, or was it something particularly from our childhood? I don't think Alsatians. you see them quite as much as you used you don't. to. I think they're not popular dog, are they? No, no. Um, I got bitten by one once. That's why I don't like them. I think everybody um, did. I got bitten me by too. a couple <laughs> of I got bitten. Yeah, by uh, I don't know. You just don't see them as much as you used to, do you? Yeah. So I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't like them. So um, that's that's scary. Uh, even though he's even though Dick seemed like quite a nice one. I don't care. <laughs> and the, yeah, the bit at the end, the, in the hell thing, that that was qu- creepy. That was chilly creepy. I didn't find the film remotely scary, but for those three factors, I'm going to give it one point each, three. Three. Wow. Hmm. Acting, then. What are we doing next, Richard? Acting. acting. Well, I thought the acting was quite competent. I didn't really think that they had to do much acting apart from say their lines and scream and shout on cue. So, yeah, a four from me for the acting. Four. That's not... I don't think that's that competent, is it? I, yeah, I wasn't impressed by the acting, and I think there was a lot of Italian actors maybe perhaps using a second language not so successfully. I don't know whether that's fair, but for me, I'll give it a four also. The acting was not really necessary, I don't think, in this film. <laughs> But everybody in it did seem competent. They all seemed to be, you know, they they did the movements they needed to do quite well. I believed them. So I'd go I'd go probably, you know, he's neither good nor bad, I'd give it a five. Were it not for the man in the bookshop huh. with his <laughs> is very nice and that was the highlight of my day, so for that alone it gets a six from me Whoa. for acting. Then the last category is plot and script. For which, you know, look, I couldn't make head or tail of it. I couldn't tell you what the story was other than, <laughs> uh, you know, entrance to hell, basement. Michael Stipe isn't from Louisiana. He's from Georgia. But I like to imagine the man in the bookstore is <laughs> Michael Stipe's alter ego had he not been a successful rock star. Well, no, it made me think of the scene in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they approach that, that <laughs> castle that's been taken over by the French. And they go, what do you want? We're searching for the Holy Grail. Oh no, we already got one. It's very nice. <laughs> Just make me think of that. So for plot, I'm going to give this a three. Oh. In terms of, can we just go back to it's very nice? Wasn't there a League of Gentlemen sketch? It wasn't Papa Lazarou. It was the Greek shop owner with two sons. Who was oh, yeah. punished for... He used to say that. Are you a merry queen? Are you very, very nice? <laughs> I'm sure he used to say that too. <laughs> But also, uh, the Papa Lazarou did did sound a bit like that, though, didn't he? he? Did yeah, my wife now. Nah. <laughs> of course, famously black-faced yeah. in a way that was well. I think was referencing the original Mama plays, where 
yeah. uh, where blackface was used, but not in a, in, in a race-related way, in a reference to good and evil, you see. Mm. It was like a voodoo clown, wasn't he, Papa Lazarus? Yes, a voodoo clown. I think, it was, I think it's actually so post-ironic, it's outside the bounds of um, But they do reference morality. a lot of original original stage plays, for example. Mm. I think when the later one, it's not this series, it's the one, it's the series after League of Gentlemen, where they've got a blind man living in... Uh, living in a mansion with with a with like a helper boy who's who's a tea leaf who's a, who's a thief, and this is actually a reference to one of the first successful farces uh, that was written in France about you know a rich man who loses all his money to a blind boy because of because of the advice of some lawyer. You know the lawyer says, "Oh, just pretend to be blind," and the boy gets all the rich man's money, and then the lawyer says, "Hey, where's my cut?" And the boy says, "Well, I'm blind. I can't find the money, kind of thing." And it's but it's one of the original farces you see. So they use a lot of this uh, to reference a lot of their characters, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know that until recently. All of which is to avoid giving this, this giving this movie a score <laughs> for its what for its plot. Plot, yeah. <sighs> I know it seems impossible. I mean, I think if you watched one the pre- immediately preceding and immediately following movies. It would still make no sense. Is that, but is that a boon or a, <laughs> a problem? <laughs> I like the Book of Avon. I mean, it's 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 the work of it's a fictional work from another universe of 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 horror. Just import it into your own movie. Why don't you? I liked I like that grotesque plagiarism, but it's enterprising. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <sighs> There was no plot, was it? He just threw zombies in there. He threw tarantulas in there, you know. And there was a portal to hell. Ghosts, ghost, ghost dogs, dogs, crazy yeah. dogs. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to give it a three. I'm sorry about that. Score for the plot of the Beyond. Well, there was just about the bare bones of one. So that's what it's gonna get from me. It's gonna get one. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh. I think this. this, this yeah. I know. Oh, I'm not gonna be polite about the movies but, you introduce next time, Alistair. Honestly. Yeah. It's leading to an overall it's not score. How you, remind me never to <laughs> sorry, invite. Thought... Remind me never to invite Alison to one of my dinner parties. So, Alistair, what, what do you think of my reheating Marks and Spencer's leaking onion soup? Well, it's fucking terrible, Paul. You know. No, I think it's much better than this film. Oh right, okay. Although I'll, I'll, I'll you, give you my overall to my score yet. Party if you want to. I haven't overall given my score. overall score yet. It's a cult movie. If you like this kind of thing, I guess you might like it. But I can't recommend it to anybody because. There's nothing all that much fun about it. So overall, I'm going to go for. Alistair. Okay. Um, I suspect. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Similarly, I suspect if you're a fan of gore porn, this this is probably a seminal work. So I can see that it has value. Unfortunately, it's not a value that I value. <laughs> um, and I I just apart from that one scene with the bookkeeper, I did not enjoy anything about this film at all oh, oh no there was the the weird music and there was the the general louisiana vibe so i'm gonna go three i like the generally louisiana laid-back vibe i kind of felt you got that sense I mean, this is the late 70s early 80s you know there's gleaming mirrored skyscrapers all across dallas and you know new york is heading forward into the future apace and you get this sense of this, not a backwater as such, just just a, a state that lives in a different time and to a different, runs to a different rhythm. I really, you know, we don't capture, we didn't capture much of the street side sounds 
and smells of a city, provincial city. And we got that here. It was rare in those days to, to capture cities like that. And I like that. So for that, an upmark. Apart from that, nothing really to recommend this movie apart from how bad it was. So in total, a four. It's not even so bad that it's funny, really, I don't no. think. No. It's, it's a bit grubby. Apart from the bookkeeper. Like, bookshop, bookshop seller, who's funny. Sure, sure, clip it, put it on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for that's over. We, we never have to return to Beyond do we the not, Game. Paul, do we not have to do the, 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 the first and the third Don't film? say it! <laughs> <laughs> the what? The first and the third film. Have I broken the seal now? <laughs> I'm going to claim that I didn't really suggest movies last time because I ended up picking the one that Paul kept choosing. So I'm going to give you two options then. Oh, God. <laughs> Like the agony of choice. Uh, free will is an illusion, don't worry. <laughs> Just do whatever you're destined to pick. I'm going to suggest either uh, Get Out. Okay. You've seen it. Oh, sorry, no, go on. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> Get Out is a film by Jordan Peele, one of the members of the sketch team, Key and Peele, but is doing movies, uh, horror movies mostly at mm-hmm. the moment. It's got a sort of race theme to it. Or, and this is something that I ended up watching partly because, and I've I've already watched this one, but I'd happily watch it again. Uh, but I ended up watching it partly because of Alistair 1918. The Sam Mendes war film 1917, which is a, not a horror movie, you might say. It's a war movie, but it is a war movie about World War One, which I think means it is a horror movie. What do you think, Paul? Well, uh, Get Out, which is what? A, a contemporary horror movie by Jordan Peele. And the other is... 1917. Sam Mendes, World War One. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's Alistair took the wrong portal back in time. No, go on. Uh, well, I don't fancy 1917, so let's get out. Get out. Nice one. That's a good choice. Alistair, what, what would you choose? Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it. I've not seen Get Out, so that would be okay. 1917 I've seen before, and again, would happily see it again, but I, I don't know Get Out, so um, let's do that. Good. Where can we see that? Right, so you're going to have to rent it from Amazon or Google Play or YouTube. It will cost you £3.50. Oh. But it's £3.50 worth, well worth spending. All right. Actually, you can buy it outright for £5. So there you go. £3.50 for one or £5 for the rest of your life. <laughs> Until the next time, then, it's closing music time, it's which great. we normally seem to count in for some reason on three, two, two one. Thank you.